here. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? All right. All right. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm halfway through my first beer. We should get going soon. Uh, yeah, I know, huh? I know. I'm going to have to get another beer. Yeah, I might have to. Only brought two. That'll pretty much kill the rest of the day. Have you seen this story about the uh, uh, F-22 Raptor? This, uh, so this uh, Air, what Air Force general now? I don't know when he what he, what rank he was when this happened. Um, is talking about uh, an incident where he was flying an F-22 Raptor. No, um, he wasn't flying it. Somebody was flying it. Okay, but it was being flown by it was F-22 Raptor, and right. uh, it had a, had an encounter with an Iranian F-4. Um, and uh, and uh, and it kind of s- completely snuck up on the on the F four apparently, and uh, it's a great story. Like apparently the the F four was nosing too close to one of our Predator drones. Oh man, it is such a freaking maverick moment. It's I know that's funny. what I was, and that's what I was getting at. It's like totally life imitating art here. All right, this is like that scene from Top Gun. All right. Well, it doesn't it doesn't say here, and I don't think he had to uh, go inverted. Yeah, I know that's right. I've got pictures. He just got close. You know, and it's, it's did he have his up, Polaroid? Sneaking that's up it, behind an F four uh, is not uh, uh, rocket science. You know, uh, uh, yeah, because of the way the fuselage is, is conducted. There's, it's very hard to see behind you in an F when you're flying an F four. I can see, I can see this easily. Yeah, so right. uh, he, he shouldn't be showing up on their radar. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, so he, he apparently snuck up on the F4, uh, sort of from below and behind, I guess, is what I read. And, That'd uh, be the way I'd do it. And uh, you know, kind of eyeballed this other aircraft and inspected it, and kind of made notes about its weapon load, and uh, and then just kind of like floated up beside it and kind of waved, I guess. You no. Know? <laughs> <laughs> pulled hint, up hint, on boys, the, yeah, you don't want to be here. Pulled up on the left anymore. wing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just uh, it's uh, do we? Be- I guess we believe this story, right? I mean, it's. <sighs> I'm well, surprised. an Air Force general who goes by the title Chief of Staff, General Mark Welsh, is uh, uh, reported to have told a story about Air Force Reservist Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Sutterfield, who goes by Showtime. Showtime. Showtime was the guy that was flying the, uh, the Raptor when the encounter occurred. Uh, I find it highly believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder whether the uh, story met with as much uh, awe and inspiration from Sutterfield CO when it first got told. But well, yeah, I, and I in find... The hand, in the hands of a major well, general, you're damn right. Yeah. Least... I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of surprised there's not more of this, though, actually. Well, you yeah, know, that's... Well, that we don't hear more. I'm sure this goes on a lot more often. Right. No, I'm and not surprised it has gone on hear for more of it. I, not, not just with... Uh, Iranian or or uh, was it Iranian? Yeah, R- Iranian yeah. aircraft, but Russian, uh, Chinese. Yeah. Uh, no, come on. I bet, this, on the I bet this does happen more often. Sure. The surprising thing to me about this story is that it got told. Uh, yeah. I, well, that, that that's that's one where you got to look at the environment where the general was telling the tale that a U.S. course was privy to from daily briefings from the field. Uh, and uh, it's like, yeah, okay, we're bragging a little bit. Uh, but it's like, if you had the cloak of invisibility, wouldn't you freaking want to use it well, once yeah, in a while? Well, yeah, of course. Like I said, I totally believe that this happened. I'm just kind yeah. of amazed that the story got told. 
But uh, it's it, yeah. it's just too much to resist. I mean, yeah. think about it. What's the latest on the Top Gun uh, sequel movie? Anybody heard anything more about this? I I don't think I have. I haven't either. But you know, there's this new invention. <laughs> it's too bad we don't have a system that we could like you know look it up right from well, our desk. last last I heard about it or read about it was uh, uh, something that my baby brother sent me some months ago. He's in that business and uh, he. Uh, Said, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be the technical advisor on this? And I said, yep, got to bring my own G suit. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, your brother's, it, it, your brother, your baby brother's in the movie industry or the naval aviation industry? Movies, movies. Oh, okay, he, all he, right. He works in the movie business, and it's like it had been green lighted, uh, but a script hadn't yet been approved, and until a script gets approved and talent signed and back and forth on that it definitely was it wasn't going to be tom cruise's movie a second time but no, although he's right, going to have right. a part in it yeah yeah so right. anything do you find anything jeb are you looking no no i'm looking at imdb and there's not really here, yeah, anything okay. here. Yeah. david your brother's in the movie so what is the chances david that your brother could get us like a development deal for like you know you cap the movie right we could uh if we come up with a viable plot and an idea from who would pay the money to to make the camera roll well, absolutely. Your brother would pay the money to make the camera roll. I'm sorry. That's the we, we forget that, man. We we haven't had a viable plot since we started this. Thing. <laughs> Although we yeah, but plot it's worked. along well at a plotting pace, we have no plot to plan on. I know it's worked fine so far. So why why you know mess that's with a good exactly mess with broke, a good thing, huh? Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't break it. That's right. On that note, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from the UCAP World Headquarters in uh, scenic Epping Meadows, New Hampshire. Here with my good, two good friends, uh, uh, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Doing great. I was just thinking momentarily about how much that sounded like a line from, from uh, Animal House. If it ain't broke, don't break it. Yeah. Road mean, trip. Mean, yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's you, you mean when the, the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? That's the one. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Looking forward to a lovely weekend heading off Sunday to Sin City for the National Business Aviation Association oh, meeting. Oh, you are. Okay. So we should, maybe we should try and do some dailies while you're out there. I could get you on the telephone a couple times, and we could do dailies from MBAA. That would be kind of fun, actually. That's, that's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. So, Jeb, are you going to MBAA? I am not. Yeah, okay. Do you know, is Amy going to Is James going to be there? I David, I do you know? Presume, James I presume will be there. James will be there. I don't yeah, know. But doesn't James Amy, write for probably the, will be. Doesn't James write for the Daily? And, yeah, oh, wait yeah. a minute. Last I heard him talk about, he'd been dropped from something that okay. they'd been doing. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't know about NBAA. I haven't had any. Knowing James, he's already he's already worked up another assignment. He's like yeah. he's good at this kind of stuff. Anyways, hey, also here and in, uh, in our little uh, virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? Doing all right. Doing all right. Somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Somewhere near. You know? Yeah. So uh, what's going on in your world? How's the the, the pond, you know, kind of gone, level gone uh, down? Is it yeah, stopped raining? Yeah, things, things have dried out. It's gotten dry. I'm, I'm actually letting the pool draw down a little bit because I want to do some maintenance. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, things are good. Magazine's in the can. Um, another Always project's good. almost finished. Mm-hmm. Um, got some bills paid today. Um 
so far, so good. Yeah. So it's not an aviation story, but you had a small explosion of some sort, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? Swear, officer, I swear to God. You know, Are you talking about that tired old story? It's, yeah, right. You want to talk about this on the podcast, Jeff? I don't know. Sure. I, you know, it's not... I, what it's, happened? It's a, it's a big head scratcher. I'm, I, last Friday... Uh, I, just earlier that morning, I had finished up uh, the magazine and sent it off to the printer. And it's, you know, noonish, something like that. And I hear this loud noise, like a rifle shot. Or it kind of, and first I thought it was like a piece of metal had fallen over. But it was very loud. I said, damn, that sounds really close. And I, you know, I looked around in the backyard, looked around the front um, without really leaving the house. And I didn't see anything. There weren't any people running around. There wasn't any smoke rising or anything like that. So, uh, okay, fine. I don't know what that was. It doesn't sound like it was any of my stuff. So, um, whatever. Okay. And I went back to what I was doing. Later that day, um, I grabbed my keys, stroll out. I'm a, the truck I have parked in front of the uh, hangar. I cannot really see it from the house without some effort. Uh, I walk out there, and the left rear tire has exploded. Yeah. That, that was the noise. The truck had been parked since the previous Tuesday, and the, the tire just exploded. Yeah, I, you, you posted some pictures someplace, and yeah. uh, I mean, it really burst. It, it like, you know, I mean, it were, you know, yeah. It let go. It, it, it was like the whole, you know, I don't know how to describe it, radially, all around, from rim to rim, kind the, of. It the, just Yeah, the tread failed from the sidewall, the, uh, in this case, the exterior sidewall, not that it really matters, um, up to a good two-thirds at least of the way across the casing towards the other, sh- uh, um, the other shoulder mm-hmm. of the tire. And, uh, yeah. And okay. have you come up with any idea of what might have no, triggered this? Not ex- except old age, but it, the tires weren't that old. Yeah. Tire, they, I know. They looked like they had pretty decent tread on them. They didn't. Yeah, it's didn't. about half the tread life. It's not badly checked. Yeah. Um, they're decent tires. They've been on the truck, um, I'm going to say, six, seven years. Yeah. As as a couple of commenters pointed out, you're lucky you weren't driving when it did that. Shazam. Yeah. That, I mean, that could have been exciting. I mean, That could have been real sporty. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, well, that's that's your that was your non aviation adventure. Oh, and what talking. was your name again? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. What's going on in the aviation world? Uh, oh yeah, this is an aviation podcast, isn't it? So is this is this the story about the seven forty seven? It's this like the forty fifth anniversary of the uh, what of the introduction of the seven forty seven? Who put this? I think in? David, you 50th. put this. In. I so, think it was the fiftieth anniversary. Oh, 45th, I'm 45th, sorry. 45th, yes. Of the first rollout, right. 1968, September. Um, so, and does this say when they when they actually went into service? In 70, they went into service. Okay, yeah. so. Uh, yeah, with Pan Am, uh, yeah. a launch customer. <clears throat> what, a, what, a, what an airplane the 747 has been. I mean, you know, I, it's had a remarkable run. And it's still going. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I've about it in the past tense, but not by a long shot. I, I've observed this in the past that there are a handful of aircraft designs that just seem to have been right. You know, just mm-hmm. um, 
things like the DC three and the, you know, I guess I don't know what other examples I come up with. Well, you know, the seven one seventy two and the Cub, um, and I think the seven forty seven, the the C one thirty. And uh, uh, B-52, uh, 747 is definitely one of those. Um, but it's evolved a lot over the years. So so the first one rolled off the line in 68. Um, yeah. But that's not to say that there are 45-year-old you know, 747s in service, does it? I would expect probably, yeah. There are. Yeah. There are, yeah. Uh, there were a lot of those early 100s built. And variations of them, the SP, that are shorter even. Mm-hmm. And uh, they still give good service. They can be re-engined. Uh, but they were fairly fuel efficient for their day compared to some of the other aircraft in the fleet, the 737, 727, uh, the uh, DC-9, the DC-8, DC-10 was McDonnell uh, uh, Douglas's first one with a big improvement in fuel efficiency. So, yeah, it surprised me that there's not still out there running around in some kind of special cargo configuration. Uh, if not delivering high-density passengers. like They've used this airplane as a shuttle in mm-hmm. some parts of the world, flying hourly, hour, every 90-minute flights carrying 500 people. I know. Well, the irony is that the, the, the early 747s aren't that big airplanes anymore, you know, I mean, by comparison. No, not like today. Yeah. They were monstrous at the time. I, I remember as a pound gross weight yeah i remember i remember as a kid um a, a friend of mine's dad took my friend and i to logan airport to to actually look at one on the ramp it was one of the very first times that one had visited boston and uh, and we, we this is back in the day it's like you just couldn't even begin to do this now they had an observation deck outside on the roof of the terminal building and you were able to walk all oh, the way oh i remember those and we so we actually went up onto the observation deck outdoor outside on the roof there and looked down, and even looking down on you know down on the ramp from what would have probably been the second or third story, um, this still was a really big looking airplane at the time. They have nickel binoculars up there. Yeah, they might have actually. Yeah, they might have. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, so happy birthday to the 747. That's uh, uh, yeah, still going strong. Uh, Going to push 1500 delivered. Sometime I would expect in the next year, if not already there. Uh-huh. Uh, it were fourteen hundred and fifty-eight as of December last, and they're still in production with a seven forty-seven eight series. So, uh, you know, live long and prosper. Oh, by the way, a, a, an original nineteen sixty-seven model four seven one hundred was a really exorbitant twenty-four million dollars. Mm-hmm. A new seven four seven eight Fox Trot is a very cool three hundred and fifty two million dollars yeah. list price. So they say that that's a cash cow would be like saying Elsie didn't help Borden's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Boeing's made, Boeing's made a couple of dollars off this airplane. Oh yeah, yeah. They've they've depreciated their investment. Um, but you talking about you know the aircraft still in service? The seven forty seven SP went out of production in nineteen eighty three, thirty years ago, and there's still a buttload of them in operation because they're oh, one of yeah. the kind aircraft. Those SPs were so hot; they were the fastest ones in the fleet. Uh-huh. 
One of my favorite memories of, of Oshkosh, of AirVenture, um, was uh, one year that a, a, four, seven, four, a United 747 was there for some reason. I don't know if it was a special model or, or something like that. They well, some- there was a year that, uh, who was it, Qantas brought in one, a 747-400 Yeah, there was Australia that for sure, yep. They had that with, with the, the kangaroos. The Aboriginal paint job and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, uh, but I remember they did uh, they did flybys in the 747, and the, the uh, I don't know if it was Boeing or United, but the PR guy was actually on the aircraft talking. This was, an, you know, nowadays it's kind of routine to talk through the public address system by radio from the aircraft, but back then it was kind of different, and uh, and so they had a PR guy talking to us from the airplane as it was, as a 747 was doing you know, somewhat dramatic flybys at uh, along the runway at, at Oshkosh. It was. I cool. saw my first one in '71 at O'Hare, and was uh, going to part of the terminal building where there was one parked outside, and I had to go press my nose against the glass. I could not believe how big that thing was. Yeah. yeah. Like me, David, you were only two or three years old at the time, though, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. right, yeah. Hey Jeb, so uh, ATP—it's an—it's an aircraft oh, pilot's rating. What, first right, of all, what does ATP right. stand for? Airline transport pilot. Yeah, now and it's, and that's kind of a misnomer if you ask me, but uh, because you don't have to be an airline pilot to get an ATP. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be uh, an ATP to be an airline pilot, quote unquote. Oh really? I didn't know that. Uh, if, right. Depending on on if you want to operate under one thirty five. With a commercial ticket, you can probably get permission to do that. Yeah. I remember being very, very impressed that a buddy of mine who um, flew uh, a uh, Piper Arrow um, mm-hmm. and was clearly was very highly rated. I mean, he had all the, you know, he was CFI, CFII, you know, he just had collected ratings. He was one of those guys. Sure. And one of the ratings he collected was he, he got an ATP basically in his in his Arrow. You know, I'm sure he had to do some other aircraft as well. But uh, Right. You can do that. Yeah. So And he did. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you can do that. He got an ATP in his Arrow. And then he had occasion to have his airplane repainted. So he painted it. In, he loved United Airlines. And so he had his his Arrow painted in the United livery, all right, which was back oh, then. Really? It was those rainbow stripes. Remember the, remember once upon a sure. time? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Orange, red, and whatever uh-huh. stripe kind of um, design. And, now you uh, couldn't do it without a little Gershwin playing in the background. Exactly, you know. And he used to just he he would love taxiing around the big, you know, ramps of big airports and hoping that somebody would would refer to him <laughs> by saying you know follow the company Piper Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was pretty tickled by that whole thing. But so uh, ATP Jeb, you're yeah. telling us so, that uh, something's so, changed then, here. Well, yeah. Um, as a result of the Buffalo accident, and um, I guess there was another one. I forget what it was. That was the icing stall kind of thing, right? Right, right. Yeah. and then I think um, compounded by the Air France 447 yep. uh, episode, although under a completely different regulatory scheme, the FAA uh, has changed their regulations with respect to experience required to uh, be an ATP, to at least go for a check ride for an ATP. And all of this has been already announced um, um, and already uh, codified in the regulations. And uh, the witching hour is July 31, 2014. Um, the rules change on that after that date for check rides, for written exams, for training, uh, for all kinds of different variables. Um, that's just to obtain the ATP, uh, multi-engine ATP, as it were. 
Um, not, it doesn't really matter. ATPs generally, certainly for airplanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, all this is changing. So if anybody ever had a thought of getting their ATP, now's a really good time to knock this out. And, yeah, don't uh, waste time. Yeah. Well, what um, will happen after July? Will existing ATPs have to re- recheck ride? No, or? no, it doesn't, it doesn't no. work that way. But people going for the ATP check ride after July 31, people taking the written exam after July 31, um, <clears throat> likely will have to go through a formal program mm-hmm. uh, at a school like Embry-Riddle or something like that um, to be recommended and receive the, uh, the rating be recommended for and, and, and um, be able to go for the check ride. Is this one of the things that got caught up in congressional action? Yeah, changing? There, there was, there, I think in the, the last big reauthorization, this was a, a feature of, of that bill. Like uh, the, it, may, it may have been some other vehicle. 20, what is it, 1,500 hour requirement now to sit right seat from 250 right. no, hours? It's, it's the other, no, it's the other way around. Um, that it's not an hourly requirement; it's a rating requirement. They're requiring no, the but ATP I mean that in, that in fifteen hundred right hour change came by way of congressional fiat. Um, fifteen change from fifteen hundred hours to how many hours? To <laughs> hell! Now I have to look that up. Okay. Again. I think you said two fifty. That's the, that's what's required for the commercial. Okay. And yeah, and that's ride, what used to be able to get you the right here, seat. Here to four, you could ride shotgun with just a commercial, a commercial multi, uh, as long as you weren't ever going to serve as pick. Um, that's changed also. That's in a whole different set of regulations. I'm just talking about Part 61. Um, I, don't, I think the ATP always has been 1,500 hours uh, and then broken down, <clears throat> 1,500 hours total. And then broken down. Uh, oh, I, you know, I think you're right about that. Multi and everything else. But I was wondering about the change to making it. You have to now do it uh, to get your ATP through some kind of formal program rather than just experience and the CFI that can give you the. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. The test. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's the, the new requirements. Yeah. Is that new requirement one of the things that Congress mandated? Right. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm- Do we think that this is enough? The change, or is it? Uh, I'm. I don't know. I'm not here to. I, I don't think the the base certification of the pilot has anything to do with it. Yeah. Okay. To be honest with you. Because um, we've talked a lot in the past about whether well, or not airline pilots have enough basic flying training, you know, stick and yeah, wire kind of stuff. I, I think we I, we certainly have. <clears throat> and I, the, the quick answer is probably not. Uh, we've, we've seen too many episodes recently of, of pilots doing exactly the wrong thing when, when all the signs indicated they should be doing something different. And they've done it anyway. And a lot of people have died. And there's no reason for that at this level. Yeah. Yeah. But but some sort of improvement, quote unquote, it's going to take place in July next year. Some sort with of change under, with, with yeah. the underlying um, certification regulations for ATPs. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, um, yeah, this is this is going to be more difficult to do, more expensive certainly to do. 
Uh, and I'm, except for some multi-time and taking the written, I'm pretty much there already. Yeah, so we should, like, we got to get I'm, you there before. I'm going to I'm gonna make an effort here. I'm, I'm announcing this publicly. <laughs> okay. All <laughs> I'm, right. I'm going to make an effort here to knock out my ATP before the uh, July yeah, 31 I, deadline. Well, we're it, it shouldn't be that hard. And, and I think we'd if like you don't, to hear more about the process. To do it. Yeah. You yeah, could I'm, skip the commercial entirely. But you have a commercial, don't you, Jeb? Yeah, I have a commercial. Yeah, I thought yeah, so. Yeah, you, you don't have to get the commercial. Right, right. Yeah, so you can skip. Well, you have to have the commercial, I think, to take the ATP ride. I didn't think that was so. I think it is. Let's see. Okay. Um, I'm probably wrong. I've never really had ambitions to that end. Those were beaten out of me with a cane stick when I was 12. You may be right. Yeah. Um, Tell you what, uh, we're going to take a break. Jeb, why don't you look that up, and I'll ask you down after the break gets over. Okay? All right, we'll be back in a second. Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville, what is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville, what is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville, what is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville, what is the aircraft? Yes, select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert, what's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. So Jeb, did you look it up? What, what's the what's the reg? I did. I was looking. I, I had to look at a different reg, but it's in there. Uh, eligibility requirements sixty one dot one five three. One of the requirements is holds a holds a commercial pilot certificate with an instrument rating. Yeah, there you so, go. Okay, that's the eligibility for the ATP. Sounds good. Sounds good. I knew you had to have the instrument rating, but I. I understood that once upon a time, you could just go, if you met all the other experience requirements, but I I may have been misinformed. Well, this may also be a different, uh, a recent change, okay? Um, This, let's see, the last amendment to this was uh, July 15 of this year. Ah, Okay. According, yeah. to this, right. according to this website, but anyway, moving on. Anyway, yeah, moving anyway, on. Punch, moving punchline on. is: if you, if any of our listeners had ever thought about trying to knock out their ATP, now's a great time to do it, and I'm going to uh, give it a shot. Yeah, it's go. never going to be easier. We'll be interested to hear about it, Jeb. Um, I'm going to propose this is a new segment in uh, in uncontrolled airspace. I'm going to call this through the fence. Should, should we have like you know a drum roll or trumpets or something? We, we definitely need some sort of musical thing. So. You can Oh, yeah, not that, though. Something else. Um, you could probably find some clip audio to stick in there. Through the point. fence. This is a story about uh, a, a, a very cool uh, airport community in uh, – got to bring it up on my screen here. In uh, – I believe it's in, in um, 
Illinois, I think. Yeah, Poplar Grove, Poplar Grove Airport, uh, Charlie Seven Seven in Illinois. Um, and uh, I'm looking at an article in the GA News website. Well, it was probably in the newspaper as well. And uh, just looks like a charming community here. Um, some beautiful homes. Um, well, I know, you know where this is with uh, hangers. This is very familiar to me. I get the feeling that I've spoken to one or two people who are from Poplar Grove when I do the around the field stuff at Air Venture. Um, because it's very familiar and, and it's it's relatively near to uh, Oshkosh, and uh, um, I will say it's up damn near on the Wisconsin line. Yeah, I think so. It's right up there in the sort of Rockford area. And, it's a uh, shame you don't have all that uh, material in a written format somewhere where you could like you look know, it search. Up. I know, yeah, I know. But that's what that's what we've got you here for, Jeb. Um, <laughs> So, anyways, this is a great uh, uh, Meg. Meg, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Meg from uh, from um, from GA News. Godluski. I apologize, Meg. Um, has written this story about a slice of aviation heaven in Illinois, uh, and uh, she talks about visiting Poplar Grove and talks about the airport and has a bunch of really great uh, photos of great, some great airplanes and some some charming looking hangars and uh, and uh, you know kids hanging around cubs and it's just a, a really charming story and uh, um, some nice airplanes apparently they have a museum according to this let's see now i'm looking at the picture maybe i should read the read the words too but uh, according to the picture there's a hangar that's labeled the poplar grove vintage wings and wheels museum and uh, um, let's see now. now i'm trying to pin this is that a is that an aronka chief in Which that one? shot, the red and white. That's a good question. I think you're. I think it is. I think okay. you're right. God, what a pretty little airplane! Yeah, yeah. This is uh, uh, our our airport community still under attack. Um, are, are they? I don't know. For some reason, maybe I just because I care about them so much. You know, I, I've been noticing the stories, but I seem to be seeing more and more stories about about the airport F- communities around the, F- the country. The, F- the FAA came to kind of an accommodation, but that was uh, that was another one of those things done partly as a result of congressional language. And in lobbying and influence, although the people that didn't like them haven't gone away, right? But they've well, had their they've had their wings clipped a little bit. But the, now the private ones are relatively secure. It's the ones that that have taken some FAA money. You private know. ones are completely secure. You won't find any regulations in the FARs about private airports. Right, right. You know, but. Uh, Dr. Blue uh, made some progress about trying, didn't he? I guess he had a program where he was trying to. Uh, yeah, he 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 won that for that skirmish. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he won that. You know, it just. Uh, I mean, we've said this, this before. This is one of those things like user fees. Constant vigilance is required to right. prevent encroachment. Yeah, it, it just it never ceases to amaze me that the powers that be think that having nobody at the airport is makes it more secure. Well, if you could, I, I remember hearing an FAA administrator once saying that the airlines would be a lot easier to handle security-wise if they could just figure out a way to eliminate the passengers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work in retail, and we always felt that way. You know, we could run now, the store I, I, way I do better. recognize that she was, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek at the moment. Uh, yeah. But I, I know people in the aviation business who feel that way sincerely. If we yeah. could just get rid of the people that... Yeah aren't part of us, this would be so much easier. 
I heard from a, a listener uh, a while back, uh, fairly recently, a couple months or so ago. Um, we have listeners? Yes, um, uh, who is here in the greater Boston area, and uh, he's an architect, and he designed a home for someone at an airport community down in um, near on Cape Cod. And uh, a very, very beautiful. He sent some pictures along or he pointed to them on the web or something like that. And I was looking at these pictures, a very, very beautiful home. Um, the thing that was interesting about it is that the hangar had a turntable in it. All right. Oh, yeah. Have you seen? I don't know if you've seen this or seen other examples of it. All right. Uh, but basically, it was this, this, this carousel kind of thing. All right. And it had, had ramps for the wheels, it had three ramps in, it had four slots for airplanes. And, right. and each slot had three ramps for the wheels to go in, and you basically I have seen that. backed the airplane into it um, at, towards the hub, and uh, and then once the aircraft was completely on the ramp, all right, it was a motor that would rotate the thing so that he could fit four airplanes. Uh, right, there was one opening and four parking spots. Yeah, right, exactly. And he would just rotate the carousel to there used until, to be a hangar like that out at Jabara. We had an opportunity to bid on taking it down and taking it away. Uh, we bid on it and lost, and it's now a kid's school uh, out uh-huh. near Goddard, Kansas. <laughs> it, it would have been a great way for four guys to go in, find a piece of property to put it on at an airport and say, we'll split this four ways. It would have been freaking ideal. Yeah, you know, it's a very cool gadget. I'm not convinced that it's the most efficient use of the hangar space. I think you could fit probably more than four airplanes in the hangar that this carousel fit in. Well, it's certainly dependent on the diameter, okay? It certainly makes them more easily accessible. You don't have to, like, shuffle them all around in order to get the one. I mean, Do do you have a link to any of this? It's too bad we can't. Uh, we don't have some system. Let me see if I can find this here. Um, yeah, Cape. I mean, at some point, the engineer that or the architect has to decide on what's the maximum wingspan and length this structure is going to have to handle, and then you can divvy up based on the diameter. Uh, obviously, if you make the diameter a lot bigger, you can put in more of the same wingspan or fewer of a bigger wingspan. Uh, it all depends on what you want to do at the outcome. But okay. four four airplanes on a footprint that wouldn't hold more than two, that ain't a bad return on space use. Okay, here we go. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. This is a link to a PDF, but uh, it's a PDF of a magazine article about this guy's house. Okay, yeah, I see that. Yeah. There it, it ta- is. It, it takes up more space, but... Um, it cuts down on hangar rash. Yeah, well, that's for sure, right? And it's much more okay. convenient for getting the yeah. airplane, the With particular that, airplane you want out of there, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it's all about. David, were you that's, able to that's open That's actually it? kind of cool. David, were you able to open the uh, the PDF? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, finally. Yeah. It, uh, so, uh, it yielded. I threatened it with a knife, I confess. Yeah. He's got some nice airplanes, too. This is, uh, um, uh, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, I want to say John Garrett. Oh, I've seen others of these, and it, this is, isn't even what I was thinking about. Yeah. Garabedian is his name, The, owner, the not the architect, the homeowner, um, is I've a radio personality before. here in greater Boston. I actually uh, uh, remember him from uh, from growing up in Boston. And, it, and it, 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 when you're looking at this shot of the four airplanes in mm-hmm. there, yep. And you're looking through where the tails are. It really does look like there's a lot of unused space. Well, there is. But it's between the wing and the tail of each airplane. Because if you look beyond that at the two airplanes in the back of the shot, 
and look at how close their wingtips are to one another. They didn't waste any space out at that end of it. Mm-hmm. There's just enough space there for, for airplanes, I'd say, of 35-foot wingspan. No more. Yeah. So, it's cool stuff. Is that Stinson? It's cool stuff. Yeah. This is, by and the way, Arantza. I believe it's... It's, I, don't, I don't know the name of the community, but it's in Barnstable, Mass., which is down on Cape Cod. and uh, That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Cape Cod Air Park in Barnstable, Mass., and uh, that's, where the, that's where the carousel is. And, of course, we have Poplar Grove in Illinois. So that's, uh, that's uh, th- this week's uh, Uncontrolled Airspace Through the Fence. What's cool. next? What's next here? I had something else. What do I want to talk about here? Uh, well, so you know, I, I don't know whether you, maybe maybe there have been un, uh, there have been uh, off-field landings of the week going on all along. We we seem like we went through a drought where we didn't have an off-field yeah. landing for a long yeah. period of time, and now it seems like we've got like two every every episode, um, which I guess still technically makes them an off-field landing of the week. And my only explanation <laughs> is fuel has been going down. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, we, got, we got two here. Uh, uh, let's see now. Wait a minute. This San Jose. Did we talk about that one last time? I can't remember if we did or not. I don't no. think so, no. No, okay. Yeah. So we've got, We haven't done an episode since this occurred. Oh, okay. All right. Um, we've got, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, it's like uh, a little passive-aggressive thing going on there. Uh, what I'm stunned at looking at this. What's that? A guy, the guy had just launched from Reed Hill Field outside San Jose. Nice, nice airport. And shortly before 8 a.m., yeah. was able to find any space on any road in San Jose that had space for an airplane. Yeah, well, you can do that. Uh, this is San Jose is my old... I actually wasn't based in San Jose, but I, I was very active at San Jose. Uh, correction, uh, Reed Hillview. Uh, Reed Hillview is uh, was the home base of the EAA chapter that I was involved with way back when. And uh, as a matter of fact, the... Uh, United Painted Arrow that I was talking about was based at Reed Hillview. And uh, so I'm very familiar with Reed Hillview. Um, and Reed Hillview is, at least 10 years ago, it was uh, right at the edge of the of the urban sprawl. And so um, you know, on to one direction of the airport, you're right, David, there was a lot of traffic. To the other direction, there was uh, less. Although there, you get into the hills pretty quickly, so where there, there weren't a lot of opportunities. But uh, this guy landed in the... Uh, in the uh, shopping mall, this was kind of controversial. It always has been that they built this shopping mall right off the arrival end of this air, of this runway. And, well, I understand uh, there's a real debate on whether it, he has to get a uh, a, a parking token uh, yeah. validated. I mean, more than once over the years, airplanes have landed in this parking lot. I don't know whether he landed in the parking lot, but uh, sounds to me like they made it big enough. Yeah, I'm trying to look at this story, but it plays a video every time I uh, every time I call it up here. Uh, it looks like he's on a city street right outside the parking lot. I mean, unless parking lots have working traffic signals on yeah. four ways. It's not something you see every day when traveling near the East Ridge Mall. That's the one in San Jose. Just before 8 a.m. on Thursday, a single wing fixed. A single wing. Well, okay. Yeah, all right. A single wing <laughs> fixed engine airplane with some sort of engine trouble made an emergency landing on a busy San Jose expressway just after takeoff from Reed Hillview Airport. Authorities suspect that the engine may not have been making enough power to keep the aircraft in the air. Flam at 11. All right. So uh, let's see now. Is the pilot's name here? Is Podlowski the pilot? Uh, Podlowski? No, Podlowski was the owner of Aerodynamics Aviation of the Flight School. 
a pilot and a student aboard the training flight weren't hurt as the Citabria uh, registered the flight school and, the, and the airplane wasn't damaged. So they set it down on this express. If this is the if this is the road I'm thinking of, it's sort of it's it's sort of a parallel runway when you get right down to it. It kind of goes right along the side of the airport boundary and uh, um, and it's a it's a pretty substantial road. It can be very busy as you as you allude to, David, but uh, it also can be very quiet and. Uh, I just sent you both the all link to the YouTube of, <laughs> of I'm looking the, at it now. <laughs> the off field landing of the podcast. Oh, really? What is this one now? This uh, is this is that this is that famous uh um video someone produced back in the day of a DC ten landing on the four oh five in LA. Oh, I know the one. Yeah, right. And yeah, catching up to. I know the one you mean. Okay, yes, that's yeah, a good one. It'll land, you put the nose cr- falls on top of the, uh, of a, a of the Jeep Cherokee. Yeah, Jeep Cherokee, right? And yeah. a little old lady shoots in the finger at the end. <laughs> okay, yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, so uh, and having once lived where the four hundred five was part of my daily or weekly at least, was like, dude, why are you speeding up? <laughs> Yeah, slam on the brakes, let it go overhead. You yeah. no no way you're going to outrun it in it. No, never mind. So Somebody congratulations, stand on the brakes. You know, go right by. I know. Right, so, that's right. Well, too late now. Congratulations <laughs> to this uh, this uh, instructor and student pilot for uh, getting back on the ground safely and and not even hurting the airplane in the process. So uh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, it's really, and I hope that it didn't turn out to be something like the gas being turned off. Yeah, I don't know about that. Now, this other one is really interesting. I don't know if you had a chance to watch this video, but this is really, really fascinating. Um, so this is a, yet another example of an airplane that was all cameraed up for you know various reasons, all right, and uh, and then had an engine failure. This is a uh, what type of airplane is this? It says I think here someplace, uh, um, but it's a small two seat aircraft of some sort of Sky Ranger. I'm not familiar with the Sky Ranger, but it's a two. Oh, we've flown Sky Rangers. Yeah. So it's a Sky Ranger. So uh, this is from reading from the Live Leak website. Um, guy lands his plane on freeway when engine stalls. All right, there's a great t- uh, headline. But uh, yeah. uh, the, uh, a pilot of a home-built airplane was able to land safely on Havendale Boulevard in Winter Haven. This is in Florida um, on Sunday morning after experiencing engine failure. 22-year-old pilot Kyle Davis and his passenger Joe Suri. Oh my goodness, Suriat. Um, were not injured um, and declined medical treatment. You got to watch the video. The story is one thing, but you got to watch the video because it's really pretty interesting. Um, they've got two cameras on this airplane: one behind the two uh, uh, pilots' uh, heads, looking forward um, out the front window, and then one under the wing, also looking forward. You can see the uh, the the, uh, the um, propeller in the in the edge of the frame. And well, fl- it's a Rotax. They're flying along, yeah, all right, yeah. and they're flying along. Um, they, I don't know whether they're near the airport for some reason because they're relatively low, but they're flying along, and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden the engine just stops, all right, just like as if they turn the key, all right, and you, and you hear them going, okay, now what are we doing? Where are we going, you know? And there's a couple of bleeps because I'm sure they were, like, you know, speaking in colorful, colorful language, you know, and uh, at first, they just kind of have no, they, they don't seem to have a lot of options. There's bodies of water. They could go into the water if they needed to. But other than that, they don't seem to have any options. Um, one of them suggests, what about that field over there? And the other one says, no, it's not, I don't think I can make that field. Um, and then, and then, and all this time, they're apparently trying to restart, and they actually get the engine restarted. And I almost thought at this point, 
that this what I was watching was not a genuine engine failure. I thought maybe I was watching a training incident uh, in instance, all right, and and that the the CFI just shut down the engine. And, and my first thought was that's not very smart to shut down, actually shut down the engine like that. Not that low. Uh, yeah, but it turns out it really was an engine failure. For some reason, the engine just plain cut out and stopped. They got it started for about fifteen seconds, and then twice, it cut, twice cut out again. Twice, all right, and but times. but the but getting it restarted fifteen seconds got them enough options. That they were able to line up on this road, all right. That coincident that that, sat, that happily didn't have a lot of traffic on it. I'm still not sure I buy this. It you think so? It, it, well, it, I'll tell you why. Why? You go back and watch it from the beginning. Yeah. And the, t- track the time elapsed on your little video player. Okay. Between when the prop stops. And how long it takes the guy in the left seat to even try to restart the engine. Uh-huh. It's a long freaking time. Well, I mean, we don't know that he wasn't trying already, and you know, I mean, he, did, goes, he didn't. He, try, he, he didn't turn he, the key. He, it's, he, he didn't turn the key. The first time he turns the key, it starts. Yeah. Well, I I'm don't not. Know. I'm not saying but it not keeps for long. running. It, do, it doesn't stay running. That's the truck. It doesn't stay running. It shuts what down. He, what he was doing was was spending his time troubleshooting why the freaking engine quit in the first place. Did yeah, he do, plus, did he do something. Plus flying the airplane. Plus looking yeah. for a place to land. It's you know, a, I mean, I, 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 it's I, a sky I'm, ranger. The fuel is on and off. It, it really shut down dramatically. I mean, that was the interesting. It didn't like run well, rough. Well, it's or, a geared engine. Yeah. That's how they stop. Okay. So he got it started again for about 15 seconds. That gave him enough time to get lined up on this road that you can see very clearly in the video. Um, and, uh, and then it shuts down again. And so he says, I'm going for the road, you know. And so he's lining up on the road. And then just as they're getting close to the road, they get it started again for a couple seconds. And at this point, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. Don't be, don't be trying to fly out of this. Land the airplane. Yeah, yeah. And, no, you're uh, right. And the, and the engine then shut down again, this time after just a couple of seconds. And so they, uh, they, they landed down and they landed and touched down on this road. And uh, the passengers, like, like, I don't know if he was applauded or was cheering or was you know, expressing, you know, congratulations the moment he they touched clapped. down. Right. When did, when did this occur? Because this is... Read, read on down here. Really it's saying, familiar. Took took off, headed for Sun and Fun Flying at Lakeland from oh, the Winter well. Haven Airport. Okay, maybe this was last spring, but uh, two thousand nine. The thing April that I was twenty one two thousand nine. That's okay. That's, even after right. he touched down, all right. Even after he touched down, he was like applauding, and the passenger was applauding. Which well, of course, the passenger is going to be really happy. He, you know, I'm I'm still thinking they're not done yet. All right, you know, because you're still rolling down the road at a pretty good clip here. You see the guy clapping, and then you see an 18 going to come through the window. I know. I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, wait till you get stopped. Then we'll right. start applauding. Right. You know, but uh, right. they did. And uh, um, well, yeah. the other thing that struck me about this is they spent a lot of time rolling on the on the street. They did a long time, and and, and, and they didn't seem to be decelerating. A B, they seem to be going fairly fast. Yeah. So. That airplane. I don't know. I'm not going to second guess this. I'm going to say congratulations to these people for getting the airplane on the ground. But I, I do acknowledge that there are some things that are kind of a little bit, huh? What's going on? Head scratcher. Well, this this has been around a while too. So yeah. So well, there was one of these done a few years ago where subsequent conversation with the guys is like, yeah, we planned this. We knew it could happen. Uh, wanted to do it. Makes great video. And then they get trucked out, and no harm, no foul. Uh, it's not hard to kill a, an engine by pulling the right breaker. When when we're talking about airplane engines like the Rotax that don't have mm-hmm. standalone standalone magnetos with no battery connection, 
where you actually need to go turn the key off right. to shut them so, down. I'm not, are you still suggesting that maybe this is this is uh, simulated? I'm suggesting I don't buy it as uh-huh. as, as a failure. Uh, there's just too much that doesn't play out for me. But I've been wrong before. It's kind of a daily occurrence. Well, are are, are you questioning that they did in fact land on a road, even if they didn't? No, land? no. I'm questioning that it was an emergency. That they they okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, even if they did it on purpose, which they shouldn't have, because it's kind of reckless and dangerous, um, it, it's still an accomplishment to, to to get it down on the road. But uh, but yeah, that would be bad. That would be a bad thing. Anyways, uh, let's assume for a moment that it was a real off a real emergency, and uh, we're going to congratulate. Them. Really well done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And, and for 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 getting themselves down safely, that's great. So two off field landings of the of the episode. Maybe that's what we should start calling it: the off field landing of the episode. So. Uh, it, it's possible that we're getting closer to allowing iPads in the in the cabin of airliners. Um, there's a lot of talk now about how uh, well, the FAA is about ready to approve this, and so uh, the, the apocalypse and Revelations Nine gets closer every day. Yeah. Well, this, this whole <laughs> issue, just, yeah, this, this whole yep. thing, just this, this whole thing just mystifies me. Why is that? <sighs> I can demonstrate, and we talked about this before, I can demonstrate a cell phone or um, some other, I think iPad or iPhone too, uh, interference with my aircraft systems. It's repeatable. It's demonstrable. Is your, yeah. Are your aircraft systems less hardened than your average airliner maybe? Well, that's, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Um, and that's just my little airplane with with my little rinky dink equipment. And this is all mainly the <clears throat> in the audio, the communication side, as opposed to the nav side uh, of the house. But what we're talking about is keeping the blinking personal electronic devices off um, what, below ten thousand feet yeah. during landing and takeoff. Isn't that you know, kind of a common sense kind of thing. All of these devices, whether whether they have Wi-Fi on them, 3G, 4G, or, or, or not even uh, uh, any kind of communications at all, they all radiate uh, radio frequency. Yeah, yeah. And they all radiate at, at different uh, frequencies and in different harmonics, and there's no way that we can test for all of these different uh, devices all going off at the same time. I don't. I don't. It just the whole thing just does not make any sense to me. If you can't do without your pad for for twenty minutes or so until you're on the ground or until you're in the air, dude, get a life. There's a larger. There's a larger problem here. There's a larger concern here, and uh, uh, I think it just makes common sense. The number of times, the last few times I've had to travel by human mailing tube, the number of times. I've watched a flight attendant have to get assertive with somebody that just didn't believe the rules applied to them. Right. And they're continuing to screw with their smartphone or their tablet, communicating with people, not watching a movie, uh, not constructing, you know, a, a word article or something text-wise that's not going anywhere, but actively engaging and transmitting RF out and receiving RF and and it's like <laughs> 10 minutes I got to wait 10 minutes I you know yeah, grow, 
grow the frack up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, you're talking about the safety of you and, you know, subsequently a hundred, maybe more other people riding in that tube with you. Give it up. I mean, geez. Hey, listen, I'm totally with you. As long as the rules exist, they need to be abided, abided by. Well, yeah. Um, now but, they're talking about changing the rules. Right. I, you know, they've done studies. They've, done, they've gotten metrics, okay? They talk about the fact that your average electronic device, whether it's a phone or an iPad or whatever, radiates a certain number, okay? It's a certain amount of radio. That, I mean, I don't know the science, all right, but there's, there's measurements here. There's metrics, all right? The emission and, power. Right. And, and, and modern-day airliners are required by law to be able to tolerate radio interference equivalent to some big number, like 2,000 devices, all right? Uh, you know, the, the science says it's perfectly safe. No, the science says that the, that the, the, the devices meet that standard for external bombardment with RF energy. And there's a lot in play there when it's coming from the outside that's not in play when it's coming from the inside and yeah. from hun- potentially hundreds of different sources. There's a, there's a big difference, too, between the lab and, and the real world. And um, I think what those, the research will tell you is the likelihood of something happen is fa- happening is fairly low, but not impossible. Well, but Dave, Jeb, you're the one that talks about managing risk, you know, and life is uh, full of risk, all right? You know, life is full of risk. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And how much of a big deal is it to minimize the risk to turn off your iPad for 20 minutes? 10 minutes at the beginning, 10 minutes at the end. Whatever is happening in the world will not have changed your life outcome. It's right. It'll be there downtime. when you get back. When you walk off and, the airplane, hell, you can turn it on at the gate. But... Come on. Uh, see, the shielding is a big part of what makes airliners with electronic systems resistant to external radio frequency emissions. You know what the first line of shielding is in an airliner? What's that? It's the skin. It's the outside skin. When you got RF beamed at it or burst at it from outside, that aluminum skin is the first line of defense. Then there's a shielding on all the systems inside that. That skin doesn't do dick squat when all your sources are inside. It actually helps keep some of that RF bouncing around on the inside and can potentially multiply the effect if it's the right harmonic. But Uh, It's just nuts. I need to be... I need... I need to not have my solitaire game interrupted. All right, I want to be able to keep reading my Kindle. So you're saying you're the problem? You're the, you're the guy who's the problem? I I abide by the rules. I just wish the rules didn't exist. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. <laughs> Jeb, Jeb, your girlfriend, Mary Shavo, is like in the news again, huh? <laughs> oh, dear Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. For who, first of all, for people who don't know, who's Mary, Mary Shavo? It's Shavo? Is that how you say it? Skyvo. Skyvo? I don't know. Skyvo, I think. S-C-H-I-A-V-O. What, what, right. and who is she and she, what's she up to now? Back in the early part of the Clinton administration, 
she was inspector general at the Department of Transportation and made a lot of scandalous comments about airline uh, safety and aviation safety and uh, all these kinds of things. It eventually got run out of her position uh, and has been kind of a gadfly uh, in the industry, uh, had, had been kind of a gadfly um, in the aviation industry for some time after that. Um, she had done some documentaries, I believe with 60 Minutes and you know some, some other kind of uh, investigative television journalism uh, format. And um, it, then she kind of drifted out of the public eye. She, she went, for, went to work for a law firm or, or whatever it was and uh, uh, kind of drifted out of the public eye. General Aviation came to, to really dislike her. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think most of the aviation industry uh, came to really dislike her. But all of a sudden she pops back up. She rears her ugly head, and she's—I don't know how ugly or attractive she is. I don't know. I don't, I don't have an opinion. It's—it's it's just yeah, right. It's—it's yeah. a, it's a metaphor. It's a—it's a—it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's figure a of speech. Figure yeah. of speech. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Thank you. What's she up to now? Um, well, she was cited in a in an article. Um, this is in this is an article uh, talking about the death, recent uh, in-flight heart attack of a captain of a scheduled uh, United flight. Um, this was in the last, within the last 30 days or so, um, left seater died, uh, in route, uh, FO landed the airplane, declared an emergency, landed the airplane. Later in the story, of course, uh, Mary Skybo was quoted, um, talking about the age 65 rule, uh, and, um, general health requirements for pilots and whatnot. It wasn't anything all that obnoxious that she had to say, but it was just, you know, oh my God, she's still around. She's still there. She's still, you know popping up where you least expect it. It's nice to know there are some things you can just count on, you know? Well, yeah, I'm not going to go. Yeah, she's the very model of a modern inspector general, right? Right. Right. Sorry, I just that just came to my head. I, yeah, I got the connection. Did you get the connection yeah, now? Finally, Did you get it? Yeah. yeah okay. See, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not the kind of model I consider her. <laughs> All right. So, uh, is she on to something, Jeb, or is she just like being Mary Schiavo? <sighs> I don't know that she's really on to something in this. She she throws a few quotes at the reporter. Um, but, uh, there's really no, there's really not that much here. Yeah. I mean, people have heart attacks and strokes at age 45 mm. too, right? Sure. Yeah. Exactly so, right. Uh, yeah. What was that big running guru years ago? Uh, that, uh, right, right. Um, um, yeah, right. The Boston marathon guy, um, died, died while he was out running. You know, oh, no, no, no. That was the heart guy. Say. Right. Yeah. The heart guy. Right. I know what you're talking about. Right. He wrote all the books about, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, not the Boston yeah, Marathon man, guy, I'm somebody else. You down the highway. Yeah, right. So, anyways, all right. So I was watching. Um, I had TV on in the background today, and uh, the Weather Channel, uh, for some reason, is running a whole lot of these Hurricane Hunter shows. All right, which are kind of cool. I like watching them. There. Well, it's hurricane season. Yeah, it's hurricane season, and uh, a lot of really cool <laughs> footage. Many of, hurricanes <laughs> of the uh, of the C one thirty crews that are flying out into the hurricanes, and there's a lot of footage from in and inside the aircraft and during the flights and interviews, and you know, it's just kind of interesting to me. I, I, I like watching it. Um, they said, and, and so they were showing today a very common situation, which is they're flying in very heavy rain, and they were talking about flying in the very, very heavy rain. And and one of the one of the the uh, pilots, the military, I forget what branch of the military this is, Navy or Air Force. I apologize for not knowing, but uh, military. Um, he was commenting that that flying in rain because the the 
you've got the raindrops in the mixed in with the air. You've got more mass out there, and as a result, the propeller blades have more to bite into, and you get better performance. They said. You see what I'm talking about? I'm not asking yeah, if it's true, yeah, but yeah, you see what yeah. I'm talking about. Yep. So, do you think it's true? Does that make sense to you? That doesn't make sense. I've never heard that before. It doesn't make a lick of sense. I've heard that, and I've also heard that the moisture in the air in the form of raindrops has a negative impact on the aerodynamic because when the right. blades hit, it breaks up the airflow okay, that, that would normally be smoother. Uh, I do know that the higher density, the cooler air that accompanies this is beneficial to the engines. That, yeah, I've heard that even part, after, too. Even after the separators reject most of the liquid coming into the intakes, mm-hmm. which wouldn't be good for the compressor section of those engines. Right. I mean, it would chew them up in short order. Uh, but the fact that the air is cooled so much and is so much denser is beneficial to the engines. Uh, I've heard that the cooler air can be beneficial to the lift. Uh, the part about the props biting, yeah, the cooler air part would make sense if only it didn't have to interface with the raindrops, mm-hmm. yeah. which also brings the better lift into question, too. Right. Now, now, and you're talking uh, about my own, experience, my own experience flying in heavy rain, the airplane slows down but doesn't fly a hell of a lot differently. When you say it slows down, it slows down in indicated airspeed or ground speed? Yes. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. Dude, it slows down because you're so damn scared you pull the throttle back. Okay? <laughs> That's why the airplane slows down. Yeah, it could be. Rain. It makes a lot right? of noise, man. <laughs> well, you know, I know. I, so, David, you sort of alluded to this. You were talking about turbine engines. I've always believed that in our piston engines, um, flying in the rain is better. The engine performs better. The moist air, I don't know, burns more efficiently or something like well, that. You actually get an air. You get a moisture injection system or intake. Is the the theory of a, some some of the mechanics yeah, I know? See, I, I just I don't I don't agree with any of this. Really, you're not buying it, Jeb. I'm not buying it. You don't think that I, flying in the rain is any is you think it's worse? For- I don't. I don't think it's beneficial. Okay. At all. Uh-huh. Okay. If it was beneficial, we by God, we'd go do flight test in the rain. Okay. We don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does have an impact. I don't think that impact is beneficial. I think it's uh, a degradation of performance. Okay. All right. No. No. I, 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 I think Jeb's right because that's why my airplane slowed down. So you think these military pilots in their C-130s um, saying that they were getting more thrust because the, there was more mass to, to the prop to push? They're, not because they might be getting more thrust, but not because there, there's more air for the, the, the props can push. Um, uh, there's more, let me put it another way, there's more mass against which the props can well, push. Well, no, I think that's what they were saying. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Um. I, I think the water does more damage to right. the, the airflow and, and the generation of lift, both on the propellers and the wings. It's minuscule. It's 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 fine, but it's a very small impact. But I think that impact is there. I don't see how that Im, I don't see how that favorably impacts the performance of the engines uh, of, of the propellers or of the yeah. wing. Those two airfoils now. There may be some um, way in which water ingestion of those engines increases their power. 
um, something that could be produced by you know injecting water into the engine through a, a system or, or a device. Right. You don't have to do it in the rain. Well, isn't that uh, what David was alluding to a minute ago? I don't think yeah. that's what he was. Is that what well, you're talking I'm, about? I'm but, but, but the rain, the rain alone, the rain alone is not the issue. You're talking about cooler air. Cooler air will make the airplane and the engine perform better every day of the week. No problem with that. But you don't have to have rain to do that. And all things being equal, temperature, humidity, rain versus no rain, you're going to have better performance, I think, uh, outside of the rain, unless there is some you know, kind of water ingestion thing going on with the engine that enhances its combustion, enhances its efficiency somehow, and, and, and by that uh, route, that produces greater thrust. But I, don't, I just don't think it has any impact, uh, any beneficial impact at all on the airfoil. David? That's why my airplane slowed down when we got in the rain. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't have to reach up and touch the throttle for it. Uh, noise was the biggest aggravation. Uh, the other, the, the other thing the but, the other thing going on here that is uh, uh, detrimental to the aircraft's performance is the weight of the water on the airframe. It may not be much, but no, on, some lar- on some larger airframes, it's going to be quite substantial. Yeah. Uh, it still may not be much in a, in a percentage basis. It will, will it? Oh, will absolutely, it absolutely. Materially I, impact performance by virtue of the, the whole aircraft weighing more than it did a few moments ago. Obviously, a very different kind of, of, of aircraft system. But years ago, when I got my uh, my blimp, my uh, you know uh, airship ride, sure. um, they talked about the fact that the morning dew um, uh-huh. condensing on the envelope of the uh, of the of the airship. Oh, um, huge amount of makes weight. a big, big difference, and you know the you know first thing in the morning versus when it kind of evaporates off, um, big, big difference. And, uh, and can anyone think of a of a, a transport category aircraft that was downed uh, and people killed as a result of flying through severe weather and ingesting a bunch of rain? Mm. Bueller, Bueller, yeah. anybody? Bueller? Yeah, I'm drawing a yeah. blank, David. Yeah. S- Southern Southern Airways flight two four Airways. Back in the well, no, we're, wait, hang on, Jim. What, what, when was this? This was in 1977. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Southern Airways DC-9 flew through a, the worst part of a thunderstorm thanks to their radar attenuating and ingested all of this water and had a double flameout. Hmm. And, they, okay. and they could not get the engines cranked. You sure there weren't on. like some ducks in there too? No, there was just some hail mixed up in there. Oh, no, no, day, days like that, the ducks are smart enough to walk. <laughs> okay, all right. So that's enough about the rain. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Um, I've got one here. This is not totally an aviation story. It's sort of an aviation story, but I really want to kind of like give a little little shout out to these folks. Um, um, Mike Daniels and Elizabeth Daniels. Um, um, people who have been listening to podcasts for a while know Mike Daniels because he was one of the Mile High podcast, Mile High Flyers podcast folks that uh, was an aviation podcast that ran for a couple of years a while back, um, uh, based out of Denver and, and Las Vegas and that area. Um, sadly, that podcast is has gone by the wayside, but that's how I, I first met Mike um, and and then met his wife, Elizabeth. Um, uh, both of them really cool people. I like them a lot, um, and we've met them at, uh, at Sun and Fun a couple times. I'm not sure if they've been to Oshkosh, um, and then I've seen them out in Las Vegas a couple of different times. 
So they're they're flying friends, they're podcast friends, um, and they've 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 done a really interesting um, life uh, lifestyle change recently, um, where they they uh, got rid of their apartment uh, in their home in uh, Las Vegas. So Mike's regular day job is as a trainer for mechanics for Harley Davidson motorcycles, and so he always would be heading off on trips from Las Vegas out to various places around the country to do training uh, at very Harley dealerships. And so uh, about six months ago, they decided to get rid of their home in Las Vegas and buy a motorhome. And and instead of him heading out and back, out and back, they would just travel from site to location to location where he was doing this training stuff. And, uh, and, and they're doing the whole nomadic, you know, living out of the motorhome lifestyle um, that others we know have done as well. Um, the, the part of this that's particularly interesting is that Elizabeth has started a really cool blog uh, a, a, that telling the story of uh, of their travels around the country. And uh, they recently uh, st- here's the aviation part. Um, they recently reached they recently reached the uh, middle of the eastern uh, uh, coast of the United States. And uh, uh, Mike met up with a flying buddy of his and got checked out in a rental aircraft and flew out to first flight. And uh, there's a really, really cool post on the blog there uh, about uh, their visit that day out to First Flight Airport and to the uh, to the site of the uh, Wright Brothers' first flights. Everybody and, should go there once. Yeah, and uh, it's a very, very cool thing. And uh, the, the uh, um, Elizabeth is doing a terrific job. Her writing is really awesome. And uh, most of it is about the lifestyle of living out of the motorhome. Um, but uh, this particular post I, I, I call people's attention to for visiting First Flight Airport and visiting the uh, the uh, site of the uh, of those first flights and the, the Wright Memorial and that kind of thing. It's very very cool. So uh, if you're interested, we'll put a uh, Jeff. Uh, hopefully, I think we'll probably put a link in the show notes to this particular post from the uh, Adventures in a Hallway is the name of the blog. Um, the the connection here is that it's uh, that um, living in a motorhome is kind of like living in a hallway, um, and uh, mm-hmm. Adventures in a Hallway, and uh, they, uh, they the occasional aviation things, a lot of good travel things, but uh, a, a great story about visiting First Flight. I agree with David. You got to go to First Flight. I've never flown in there. I visited there a, a bunch of years ago and uh, it's kind of a, 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 a i was gonna say a magical place that's not the right word it's a it's a hallowed place it's a it's a very very you know have you been there david i know you've been there because back in your hang glider days you used to hang out out there right well and annie and i made one of our first long cross-country trips in the cherokee to, to first flight over a thanksgiving weekend back in uh 96 uh we visited family Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, day after, then headed to first flight for the weekend. Uh, got weathered in for two days, which the only way you allowed to stay longer than 24 hours. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the visit. And it's improved a lot. They've updated the building. AOPA paid for a new pilot shop there. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's really quite a nice facility now compared to the old... Uh, Shelter over the payphone and call for okay. the uh, ex captain with his limo. Yeah, because I although I didn't fly into the airport, I did walk over there to see the ramp and the and and this was like ten fifteen years ago. I was there, so yeah, it's uh, that's cool. That's nice. Oh, uh, and it's really something to walk the memorial. Oh yeah, retrace the steps of the first flight uh, and see the kind of shack that they worked out of. It's not yeah. the 
directional, but it's accurate. No, I agree. You, you know, they because so they have marked out on the ground the, uh, the 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 sort of dimensions of that catapult thing that they used, and then there are stones. You can walk along, like you said, David. You can walk out there, and there are stones marking the the termination point of the various first flights of that all, first day all or two. Or on the first day, yeah. And uh, it it is it, it is pretty amazing to you know to 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 go out there and walk that ground and and you know to see they, they weren't very long flights. It's it's you know sobering to realize that. I mean, back then that was a ama- that was amazing, right? But uh, they know, were just. Those flights were just long enough to take us to the moon. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Nowadays, we have wreckage paths that are longer than that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Jeb, have you ever been out there? (laughs) Yeah, I I have. Back in the day, when all there was was the the payphone, Um, uh, I've not been to the new uh, facility. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, yeah, it is a very special place. Um, That's a a very nice area to begin with, the Outer Banks. It is, uh, yeah. Yeah, very um, cool. Yeah. It's been my good fortune to fly in the first flight three times, <laughs> once on my own control, and to soar at Jockey's Ridge State Park three I know. times. Mm-hmm. You, you, told uh, us, you told us some great stories about soaring out there. You met uh, Rogallo out there, didn't you? Yeah, I met Francis out there one day uh, I, on, on the second of three plus 50 short of an hour flights one day. Yeah, Rogallo being the... Saw the person Francis who the, Regalo, the, the guy that invented the flex wing weight shift hang glider. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, definitely check out First Flight if you're so inclined. Check out the uh, Adventures in the Hallway blog. Uh, uh, we'll put some links uh, in places where you can find them. That's, Other shout outs. That's vaguely suggestive. What's that? <laughs> Adventures in the Hallway. I know. Well. Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth will love that you said that. Believe me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, um, other shout-outs. Anybody got anything? Uh, Jeb, Dave. Dave Two quick ones for me. Yeah, go uh, ahead, David. Uh, I, I I commend to the listeners this uh, YouTube video from James Weeby at Be Light, flying his Ultra Cub out of this little strip just yeah. east of Wichita proper. Yeah, and then. 18 minutes of some of the most spectacular hang gliding video I've ever seen. I haven't had a chance to watch that one yet, David. What's it uh, like? Oh, uh, uh, it's the Dolomiti Mountains in Europe. Uh, these guys are launching from about 9,000 feet above sea level. Uh, some major mountains, uh, some of the most high-tech hang gliders built today. Uh, it's just spectacular and reminded me of... What I most enjoyed about soaring that kind of equipment. And what's the nature of the videos? Are they mounted on the wing or on the head and the helmets? Or oh, it's a film. It's a film, and it's made from helicopter shots and oh, hang gliding okay. shots and ground sh- ground shots, and it's called hang gliding is not a crime. Yeah, yeah. And going back for a second to the uh, to the it's James Weeby uh, B light one. You know, when I first saw that you put that on the list, David, I, I confess that I kind of thought, okay, well, here we go, Dave. I know Dave's got a soft spot for the B-Light people, and and uh, here's another one of those. But when I watched the video, you're absolutely right. It's just a really, really pleasant, pretty, beautiful, um, you know, five-minute video of uh, him them flying uh, with a wing-mounted camera and uh, flying it, low and slow over. What, where is that, David? Where, where is that located? Well, it's about a mile and a half east of Jabara airport oh so that's out there in the wichita airport yeah okay yeah it's just east of wichita yeah uh jabara 
is uh, the designator is Alpha Alpha Oscar. Yeah, it's it, the very first one on the list. And if you look at the charts for the area, uh, you'll see a little private strip there with a glider marking on it, and that's the field that you're seeing there in that video. A very very pleasant video. Just a lot of just kind of gentle, low and slow kind of lazy circles. It's just a very pleasant. Pleasant video. Yeah, and it's not all just the wing-mounted camera. It's cut back and forth. They actually did. Yeah, you're shot. right. They did a good job of that. It's a kind of nice mixture of shots I from the ground. I think that's what made it from... work, like the hang gliding video, the fact that somebody really made a film. Yeah, yeah. Jeb, you trying to jump in here? Yeah, I was just, you buried the lead. What's that? The lead is that you're going through here and, and, and editing this stuff and sorting it uh, uh, based on your impression of, of what it's about. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's like I control the horizontal. I control the, the vertical. I'm I'm just putting this on the record. I just want to make and, sure people heard you correctly. Okay. And, and 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 it still hasn't reached the outer limits. <laughs> uh, anybody else, Jeb? Any any shoutouts? Uh, just a good close friend of mine, Dave Whitman, uh, for some help this week. Uh, always a pleasure, and uh, thank you very much. I look yeah. forward to doing it again real soon. Jay, uh, uh, Dave Whitman did a, did a, did did me a solid. How's that? Huh? I did yeah, me a, yeah. a couple of years ago when uh, I got a, a ride in his champ a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. That was a lot of fun. Cool but, guy. Yeah. We've met him a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Shout out to to Dave Whitman. That it. We done. Stick a fork. Yep. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on? You alluded to having just finished the magazine. What else? Just uh, put it, put the magazine to bed a few days ago. Uh, that was the November issue. Uh, one more for the year. Uh, time does fly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, got that out of the way. Uh, got a piece I'm working on uh, for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association on uh, upgrade paths to ADSB depending on the equipment on the airplane and mm-hmm. uh, a variety of other little variables. So uh, that's going to be interesting. Um, I look forward to, to putting that nail, putting the nail in that coffin uh, and uh, trying to catch up with some other stuff. And uh, uh, I have uh, uh, written exam materials for the ATP written on their way. There we go. Me. Okay. So yeah. we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. We want to hear more about that one. Where can people find you on the internets? jeburnside.com aviationsafetymagazine.com aea.net and uh, sometimes on Facebook and sometimes on the Twitter and on the Twitter you're known as Burnside J and Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer an aviation journalist and the US editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine David what have you been working on? I was just checking on that Uh, let's see could we go to the tape, please? It's down here somewhere, I know. Ah, we've uh, got a piece coming out here in another week in World Aircraft Sales about advances in the technology that lets people keep track of their airplanes or flights and communicate directly with them over their personal computer, PDA, smartphone, directly to wherever they are in the air worldwide. Very cool. And where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com will take you to the World Aircraft Sales site, aea.net, for the avionics news work that I do. Uh, Or if you feel adventurous, roll the dice, do a Google search, and do something, you know, exotic and old, like from last year. Yeah, and and you're on the Twitter, too, not as often, but uh, you're what, real Higdon on the Twitter. That's what I hear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, check out my uh, Kindle ebooks, uh, the Around the Field series, volumes uh, 0, 1, and 2, uh, stories about the people, places, and planes of the Oshkosh fly-in. Uh, you can learn more about all of my uh, ebooks I am uh, on uh, Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. You can follow me on the Twitter at uh, uh, Jack Hodgson is my name on Twitter. Uh, and visit my personal blog for a lot of miscellaneous stuff, uh, some of it aviation-related, some of it not. That's uh, andc.blogspot.com. It's A-N-D-C-E-E-D-O-T dot blogspot.com. Uh, and please sign up for my email newsletter. Uh, there's a link for the subscription form and a lot of other information about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners at the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. Uh, you can see who's doing what on the New Ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live long, live well, go fly, and remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. <laughs> Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. ATP. <laughs>